0: Papers in advance, we read it, discuss it immediately. So there is no lectures. But in this case, I think we will hear more from our speaker uh, than than uh, we we have read. Uh, so uh, Philippe uh, is a researcher uh, in the. Uh, he has volunteered in the in the institute for the past three months. Um, he's a student of the Free University of Berlin uh, in history and culture in the history and culture of the Middle East uh, and uh, specializing in Islamic studies. In the past three months he has been doing uh, research on on, uh, the Templars and other German sources on Palestine and has very exciting stuff, exciting discoveries. He will share some of these with us uh, today. So we welcome uh, Philippe. Uh, and um, all of you, new faces. Uh, you, usually we have, uh, have a, an, a, a kind of a close group. We're happy to see other other people now. So, uh, Philippe, would you like to take the stage? All right.
1: Um, as Munir told, it's going to be more than is actually in the paper because the paper is only a short presentation of questions and um, the object of the study, um, and I'm just going to elaborate on some answers. Yeah, it's going to take about half an hour, and of course I'll have to speak only shortly about the history of the temple society, the, or the Templars, as they're also called, uh, who are the subject of today's lecture. Um, and then I'll elaborate more on the yeah, specific topic of the first years of the Haifa colony. Um, yeah. So Let's start um, with what we're going to do. First I'm going to give you a brief introduction on the history of the temple society itself. as It's very important what the background of the society is and then I'm going to tell you what is actually the main motive for me digging into the topic and it's that there is much modern scholarship on the temple society especially in the last 20 years which is actually only based on german sources and german and israeli perspectives so i kind of tried to look for another perspective to complement this picture Um, and i'll do it through first of all showing the points that the modern scholarship in my opinion gets wrong In some way, I'm not totally wrong, but in some way, it's it's a perspective that should be corrected a bit. Um, And there are many uh, grounds for it. Um, Some of it is, of course, the perspective of the scholar himself or herself. Um, And it means that people just interpret stuff differently. Um, But some of it is also just the ignorance of sources um, that are not in German. Um, and then I'll start with the point. point, first of all, all the sources say that the Templars colonized uh, parts of Palestine on their own without any state help. Um, the second thing is that all the sources until now say that Palestine was either uncultivable or it was a desert. So this, these people were able to farm uh, plants in a desert. So they changed the landscape of Palestine. Um, the third question is if the Ottoman uh, administration was guilty of uh, malice and bad will towards the German settlers or if we can interpret it otherwise. Um, and then I'll just talk shortly about the point of um, the very important point for the Templars and for the modern scholars who say that the Templars were the first people who brought progress to Palestine. Uh, And it's still the official ideology of the um, the Templar scholarship. And just for the end um, of this part, I'll say something about Orientalism and how this actually all fits into the Orientalist uh, interpretation. And then I will talk about three points that, in my opinion, show um, a different perspective from the Templars than is right now uh, being published. First of all, I'll ask the question if the peaceful crusade, which is so much uh, underscored by the scholars uh, of, of Templar society, was really so peaceful and uh, secondly, I'll show that the religious society of the Templars actually um, changed into national or nationalist group um, and that these two have to be first of all separated to analyze well and then that they cannot be separated actually because these were the same people who were at the same time religious and nationalist um, and at the end I'm gonna give some overview or some perspective on how this helps us look at or, or consider the um, local Arab inhabitants views on the Templars and this is also the part where I would need most of your help because um, this, then this goes outside the borders of German and English sources which I used to kind of re- or reconsider the modern scholarship and now for me it's the point to to go outside of these walls and, and search for other materials. So the temple movement or the Templars or the Temple society uh, was born as one of the children of the Württembergian Pietist movement which started in the 18th century and it was a millenarian movement um, and its most important representative was Pastor Bengel a person who was a you could say a real Christian evangelical radical uh, he saw in Napoleon um, the beast from the apocalypse so it would be the devil and after the devil after the, the kingdom of the beast comes Christ and his kingdom for a thousand of years and this would happen according to Bengal in the year 1837 so the year 1837 will be preceded by wars famine and so on and all the catastrophes and then 1837 Jesus will come down to Jerusalem and from there he will rule for thousand years so pastor Bengel told everybody who would be at this point 37 in Jerusalem will be saved everybody else will be lost um, this movement developed into many different smaller movements um, which at the beginning of the eight, ninth, 19th century emigrated from Württemberg because of the persecution of the official church and the state but then the state has seen that with so many people, hundreds and even thousands of people emigrating to Russia or the USA, they cannot stay, they cannot keep the same policy, because in the end they will just lose their inhabitants. So one of the ministers of the Württembergian king told him, just give those, and he was one of the pietists, just told, give those communities. Um, self-rule and they would stay inside the state without being part of the official church. Um, that was that's what that was what happened and um in one of those small communities Christoph Hoffman was born. Um, so it was a very religious community living in a closed community with a different Christian creed than the state church. And Christoph Hoffman was the son of the um director of this community and the mayor of the city. Um, And he was one of the two founders of the Temple Society. So he was born to a very, very religious um, background. Uh, And he was also himself, uh, he um, had a degree in theology. So he learned all he knew from his childhood was religion. All he knew from his studies was religion, Christian religion. And the second founder of the Temple Society was Georg David Hardek. Um, and he actually was a um, Wurttemberg and revolutionary, a revolutionary who took part in the forty-eight German Revolution, and then um, was uh, put into jail. Um, I don't remember right now for what exactly. But it was kind ten or fifteen years he spent in jail, where he actually started reading uh, religious books and religious works. Of course, also also the works of Hoffman, um, and where he has seen pictures of the Holy Land and has read the the books of prophecies and has come to the end that people have to go to Jerusalem uh, to be saved from the evil of the world um, so that's Georg David um, And one thing more about Christoph Hoffmann, um, he also was a part of the German nationalist movement um, and a kind of revolutionary in 1848 uh, when the German national uh, parliament was for the first time called into life in Frankfurt as a revolutionary movement against the German kings. The, there was no German state at this time, it was just small kingdoms. Um, he was one of the parliamentarians. He was chosen by the people of Württemberg um, to represent them. And one of, the, uh, one of the suggestions he made in the parliament is that people should actually start moving to Jerusalem. And so his, his suggestions were not really taken seriously and he was really really upset by this and he was very disappointed and then he said just the religious movement is more important than any politics right now Um, in 1854 those people those two who had met before um, after Hardex release from jail um, they founded Temple Society uh, which was a um, an independent Christian community Um, and it's called the Temple Society because those people wanted to build a spiritual temple in Jerusalem, meaning meaning building up the people of God, what they called the people of God, who would be the best of the Christians, who would um, go to Jerusalem, and there they would await Christ and build a new, better world. So that's why they called the Temple Society. In 1858, Hardik Hoffman and the wine drawer Bubek, went to Palestine with the money of the temple society to survey the land and see if it is actually colonizable. Their plan was colonization from the very beginning, but right now they took first practical steps to do it. In 1868, Hardik and Hoffman with their families emigrated to Palestine and um, set up an outpost in Haifa. And 69, one year after that, 12 families came to Haifa and another outpost in Yafa was founded uh, with even more colonists. Um it's very important is that those colonists were people chosen for colonization and um yeah, and um they had to have for example enough money, ten thousand I think it was ten thousand uh, French francs. So it was these were not. This, this was not a chaotic movement of people who wanted to go there. These, the people who wanted to go there without um, the permission of the two founders, were actually anathematized by the community. So, the, the founders only wanted people who had money and who had the moral uh, character to colonize Palestine. Um, yeah. Then, now that's the most important thing. What happened next in Haifa? I will talk about it, but just for you to have an overview of what happened afterwards. The colony developed um, and transformed a bit into a German national colony. Um, Their religious uh, beliefs um, were not so important in the end as at the beginning. Um, Most of all because Jesus did not come. It's the problem of all millenarian movements that sometimes the the point in time comes when you expected Jesus to come and he does not. and they also have seen that the um, conditions in Palestine are not so good as they thought. They were not developing as fast as they wanted, and the community in Germany was getting smaller and smaller. So those people developed into a very mixed German community, with some of them going back to the state church, um, and some of them being of other Christian religions and so on. Um, in the, during the First World War, they were all interned, um, as the English um, conquered Palestine, and um, after the war, they were many of them were released. Uh, I mean, all of them were released. Many of them came back to Palestine. They were interned in, G- in in Egypt, so they came back to Palestine. They became traders, um, people. I mean, directors of factories and so on. So they just became a, um, what do you call it? Rani. Rani, a rich, uh, they became a rich class of um, foreign investors and so on. I to say they became I just wanted to say rich, <laughs> rich, that's all. So, and in the 30s, uh, a cell of the National Socialist uh, Party of German workers was founded in uh, Palestine amongst the Templars, Part of the Templar community or part of the German community who took part in, in this party were, were members of the party and it was actually as a party really strong because the community was closed in the end. The, the people spoke German, they didn't speak Arabic or most of them didn't speak Arabic and they were not integrated in the society. So the German Nationalist Party um, had many uh, members there. Some of them were of course opposing the party um, so it, w- it is not so easy to say that they all were Nazis. Um, but of course this ended up uh, in the Second World War with the second internment of all the Templars or almost all of them, children and women, were left um, in the colonies. Um, and after the war, most of them were interned to, Aus- after doing to Australia where many of them stayed and founded the, German, the uh, Temple Society of Australia which is a big religious community today. Um, and some of them went back to Germany. There stayed kind of I don't know, 12, 20 people in Palestine after the war. In 1948, um, there was an attack on the colony, um, and those people, out of fear, just moved out. So the Palestine was cleared of all those German colonists, or almost all of them. And some 10 or 20 years afterwards, the state of Israel reimbursed them with millions of. Uh, dollars for the loss of the property. So yeah. now let's take a look at the. Yeah, Quick question. question: How many? How many of them were there? Oh, yeah. and the, size of the population before
2: the
1: World War II. Um, it was about um, 170 settlers in the 1870s. Um 300 in Haifa, So I'm, I'm talking about just Haifa. Uh, here you see all the colonies, so you'll get an overview. Um, three, four, five hundred around the, uh, around the First World War. So there are, let's say, 2,000 of them. I think that's what I read, 2,000 of them around the First World War. And then it was decreasing a bit all the time. Um, so. OK. Now, to the left, you see the German colonies um, in Palestine, all of them. It started with Haifa and uh, Jaffa, and then came other colonies, uh, Sarona, Jerusalem, um, Wilhelma, Bethlehem, and Balti. There had some smaller colonies also, but these are the most important ones. Sarona and Jaffa are responsible for for founding the trademark Jaffa Oranges. and these were the, I think I don't have the picture here, but I can show it to you later. Um, so these were the people who actually founded the Jaffa Orange Company. Um, yeah, this is, and as you can see, they settled here the northern part, which is very fertile, and is very good for agriculture, the coastal part, and then they road to Jerusalem. So the, their aim was Jerusalem, so very, very early, 1873, they went to Jerusalem and had a colony there, but was not so strong because there was no land for them to cultivate so this was a smaller community and the community was dependent on other on on the society as a whole because they did not produce their own uh, fruits and this is the colony of Haifa you see this is the um, Haifa city the Arab Arab Haifa city, this is the German colony so it was all the colonies were built not exactly in the cities but separate from them um, because the first, the founders of the society um, were of the opinion that uh, the Arab or the local inhabitants will destroy the morals of their Templars, and so it's just built next to the city. And at a later point, I think some ten years after the foundation, they bought land in Actira, but later on, I mean, it did not develop into a Second colony. It was just cultivated by people from the German colony here. And nowadays, uh, Haifa has grown much, and this is in the middle of the downtown part of Haifa. So, right now, just some pictures. Um, The houses still today in Jerusalem, Haifa, and Jaffa have German writings over them. Many of them um, are renovated and restored by. by the municipalities and it's actually a very new project um, for reinvigorating them, these are high-end or high-class workers um, uh, for eating out and entertainment uh, but not many people live there anymore um, yeah and the state of uh, or the, the municipalities um, of course like this project because it brings money but it also is supported by the German state of Württemberg, where the, uh, the Templars came from, and the German state as a whole. Um, and this is used to show that there were Germans in Palestine before um, the Second World War, and that the German-Jewish relations were actually going well. So this is used, I and mean, this is not a reinterpretation of history, but this is just, they concentrate on the first period, and just on the um, on the fact that there are still German houses that you can read German letters or German sentences from the Bible, most of them over the houses, um, and it's just used to show the positive impact of the Germans and the positive relationship between the Germans and the Jews in Palestine in the history. And um, this is a historical photo of the uh, colony in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the Galilee, Bethlehem. It was called. Mm. Um, so these were agricultural settlements, most of all. and there, were, there was a road or two roads. all the houses were built around it. Um, this is Wilhelna colony. Um, you can see the fields and you can see some houses here. There was always a church. Then this is a school in Sarona when it was opened, and this is the whole community of Sarona. Um, right some more photos this is this this is the church of sarona it's all built of stone we can see it here very well because because it's so white from the sun but if you look if you look um, exactly you can see the stones and and these are german colonists on a picnic somewhere around the colonies so this is the german colony in haifa that i'm going to talk about a bit more and not the others, and this is today's Ben Gurion Avenue, Um, and this is the first street of the German colony, then a second parallel street was built here, and some more houses were ordered. To the left, you can see the agricultural fields, and the same photo was colored, um, and this is the colored photo, so you can see how it looked like about. Alright, I have some more maps, but let's just leave it out. Alright, the modern scholarship of the Templars um, sits in the hands of the Templars themselves, most of it, um, and there is an archive in, of the Temple Society in Stuttgart, which is most, material, most, of, most of the materials from the Temple colonies. Peter Lange is the director of this archive, he used to live in Palestine, he was born here in 1935 I think, spent the ten years in Palestine, five or about five of those in internment, and he is writing the for the official Templar paper. Um, and once um, from time to time, he's also writing um, or editing a book with other Templar authors. And um, then we have the genealogical studies branch, um, which is actually also the semi semi official. Um, Templar history of of Australia, and the most important person here is Horst Bleich, who has got in his private um, house um, the the archive of his father Albert Bleich, Um, and this archive is open for researchers, but it's not online, you can see what's in it, so being in Australia is uh, a must if you want to look into this archive and he wrote uh, one of the newest books to the, together with two other Australian Templars which is called, uh, which is a history of the Jaffa colony and is called From the Desert Sands to Golden Oranges um, so that's, that's one of those modern scholarship books that need to, to be corrected a bit then you have the local patriotic historiography of Württemberg, because the land of Württemberg um, that actually uh, um, Expelled the Templars, right now is recapturing its own history and also the history of the Templars, as it turned out. That, I mean, the Templars, after some 20 years, the state of Württemberg uh, recognized the Templars once more as its protégés. Um, so this is part of it, recognizing the history of the Templars as the history of Württemberg. Um, and there we have the uh, official State Archive of Stuttgart, which, which has got much material on the Templars, and it's uh, the person who works there um, in the topic of the Templars is uh, Jakob Eisler. Um, yeah, I had I tried. I mean, I asked him uh, as I have seen that, that he is the one who that in the, in this archive there's somebody who wrote some books on the Templars. I asked him a question. If he could help me um, capture some sources for um, comparing the German settlers to the first Zionist settlements, since then he has not replied and he is not replying to my uh, questions to the official email of the archive. So I think he's a bit insulted. Um, yeah, and then we have the modern Israeli perspective. Um, there is a very important book by Alex Kamel, which was translated into German. Um, it's called The Settlements of the Wurttembergian Templars in Palestine. And we I will use this book to show you some of its um, misleading um, expressions. Um, and the Israeli scholarship on the Templars sits in Haifa in the Gottlieb Schumacher Institute for Research of Christian Presence in, modern Pal- in Palestine in the modern era, which is financed by Germany and the state of Wurttemberg. Um, together with the Haifa University. Um, yeah, so that's the overview. And the one of the most important, I mean, Alex Carmel is dead, is and his book was translated in 73, I think. And today, Jaron uh, Perry uh, is the director of the Institute and is writing much on, his, on this topic. And there is a strand of Templar scholarship that is Israeli Templar scholarship and in those books for example people talk about Templars and Eretz Israel and not in Palestine but in other books they just write Palestine. So that's one of the questions. I mean it just shows you the, that everybody has got a, a perspective. And then yeah, uh, there's a quote from Hardik, uh, who would not believe people who say that vaccination is good and I think uh, it's very interesting to see it right now and who reports on the successes of vaccination the same people who introduce it and this will naturally always speak positively about their own actions I just found it funny to put the quote here and just because he wrote it uh, at the very beginning of the temple society and I think it's also applicable right now like in any other time for any other topic um, so let's just move to main points the specific points First of all, the Templars enjoyed no state support in the first years. That's one of the statements, official statements of the Temple Society and most of the scholarship. Um, well, to this I have to say that Prussia and other German states were involved in missionary activities from the 1840s and 1845. A, a joint Prussian a British bishopry was founded in Jerusalem, and there was um, a very, very lively interest in the colonization of Palestine from this time on. Um, there were, for example, there was an um, Austrian-Hungarian scholar, um, I just forgot him, Kulman was his name, Professor Kulman, who wrote a book Palestine, uh, on Palestine as a um, future colonizing, colon, colonization land for Germans in a very scientific manner. <coughs> so before the first colonies, there was a book on how to colonize and how, and it's called um, with the the perspective of colonizing the whole Orient. So, it was about Palestine with the perspective of colonizing the whole Orient in the title. And I think he used actually, he used either the word Germans or Germanic people. Um, So, these ideas were there, were around there, and those people were already active in Palestine. Um, Of course, the the German, uh, English bishopry was not a colonization endeavor as, as such, it was a missionary uh, outpost, um, but the German Templars had contact with those people and during their survey journey in 58, they met most of those people, talked to them, asked them and they settled in Haifa first of all because the missionaries in Nazareth where they actually wanted to settle at first told them please don't don't call don't settle here because it's a bad place. Go to Haifa, there you have the connection to Europe, there you have um, an outpost and from there you can spread. So these people, the Templars, had contact with the scientific missionary background of Germany or German peoples, I mean Austrians were also included, but they are not Germans today, as nationality, but they were considered Germans back then, and they speak the same language, so they also helped uh, the Templars. And second of all... They were in Nazareth, you said? They wanted to go to Nazareth. That's why, I mean, 68, at the end of the year 68, Hardegg and Hoffman went to to Palestine, and they wanted to settle in Nazareth, but then um, a missionary from there told them not to, and everybody was telling them, just settle in Haifa and start there, so a year afterwards, about a year afterwards, first families came after Harald bought some lands in, in Haifa, and they settled in Haifa in the, in the first years. Um, yeah, second of all, uh, Christoph Hoffmann's brother, Wilhelm, um, also studied uh, religious studies, but he stayed inside the official state church, the evangelical church, and he was the court preacher of Prussia, and he twice uh, made it possible for his brother to talk to the uh, to the uh, king at this time, but who would become the first German Kaiser emperor, um, and the German, the king, the Prussian king back then, promised his help, and um, he did not fulfill this promise uh, twice, um, but still, I mean, it had some influence on the Templars to know that, it, that the most powerful German king uh, tells to help them, so. Then, um, the temple colony in Haifa uh, was the seat of uh, five, um, five consulates. I've got here only America, Great Britain, Germany, but there was also Austria-Hungary and Russia. Um, Russia only for the first period. Uh, Jakob Schumacher, who immigrated in 1869 from America, so the, the German Templars who went to America at the very beginning, the Pietists, uh, the first movement of immigration from Britain to Britain that I told about, they came to Palestine with the first Templars to settle um, and Jacob Schumacher became the American Vice-Consul in 1872 1874 he became the mayor of the Haifa colony and he kept those two <coughs> offices until 1891 so, um, this man had at least some influence and I think this is, it's not possible to say that the Templars had no uh, state support in the most Secondly, we have Johannes Schmidt, who immigrated in 1875, was at first the Russian consul, vice-consul and then the British vice-consul. Then we have um, Friedrich Keller, who uh, immigrated in uh, 1870, uh, 1869 with the first families and settled in Haifa from 78, uh, um, Yeah, let's see, yeah. Uh, I didn't write it down. At first, he worked at the German consulate in Akko, uh, where a uh, Greek called uh, Tsiphos was the vice-consul. After the death of Tsiphos in 78, the consulate was moved to Haifa and Friedrich Keller became the consul. Um, and of course, at this time, there already was the German uh, Kaiserreich, the German Empire, um, that had much more power than the Prussian state. And we have also Abraham Duke, uh, who was a, well, an Austro-Hungarian vice-consul um, but I think it was from the uh, early 1890s. I didn't find the exact dates, so it was not at the very beginning. But we have those three consuls at the very beginning living in the um, in the Haifa colony and working for it. And for later times, there is a, an article by Mahmoud Yazbak in the Jerusalem Quarterly or the JPS that actually analyzes um, the influence of the German Imperial Consul. In Haifa, and the relationships with the Turkish government and with the Arab population. Um, yeah, and then just one more uh, fact to the sentence that there was no state support um, in 1869, just as the colonies were founded, the uh, Prussian Crown Prince uh, Friedrich uh, came to the colonies and visited them, uh, much to the dismay of the Turkish governor, who. Um, welcomed here in Haifa, and then the the Prussian crown prince just told, well, I want to go first of all to the German colony. Um, And there is a sentence from the um, official organ of the Temple Society, um, the Süddeutsche Warte. one of the redactors said, we have no doubt that this visit will have a great influence on the behavior of the Turkish offices, um, because they will realize that the Prussian royal household does not forget its protégés in Palestine. Um, and at this time, Prussia has already uh, conquered uh, or won a great war against all the German states um, that were not allied with it and a war against, against Austria. Um, so um, Prussia was becoming the shining star in Europe. And then in the year 1872 we have the Prince Friedrich Franz II von Mecklenburg, it's in North. Uh, North German states, uh, which I think at this time was part of Prussia, but I'm not sure right now, um, and the German Kaiser in eighteen ninety-eight with much pomp, um, and he landed in Haifa. This was the first place he has he he saw in Palestine. Um, yeah, and last thing, the Prussian victory over France in eighteen seventy and the foundation of the German Empire um, was a big support for the Templars, um, because France was actually the protector of Christians and um, a very important player in the Palestinian and Lebanese politics and since Prussia has conquered the most important European player um, of course its uh, prestige has risen much um, so from this time also the Templars say that the attitude of the Turkish government or of Ottoman government And uh, the inhabitants has changed Um, so much uh, to this point. Um, Now I've got some photos from the visit of the Kaiser. Um, This is the Haifa colony during his visit. Uh, We've got some Prussian or German soldiers, Um, and there was much pomp. And there were three German ships coming. Um, And then we have a postcard of Haifa um, with the Kaiser. Oh, I can show with the Kaiser, uh, this is <coughs> the landing of Kaiser and his wife, and of course of Haifa, you actually see only the temple colony. So you see the city here, but actually shows the landing, Kaiser and the colony. So it does' not show actually the city itself., um, yeah. the second um, second uh, let's say expression of the tomorrow's project that uh, would have to be corrected. I'm actually talking too long though, no? uh, uh, We that's uh, Can you? How
0: how how long do you need? 10, ten minutes, and then we we have a discussion. Let's say twenty. He's still
1: in one. Uh, huh? He's still in statement one out of four. It's. Yeah. The I'll I'll make it shorter, right? right. well, This we know. Then we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can do this one. This one past. All right? Let's. I'll, I'll keep it uh, short. So, the modern scholarship uh, uses words like the devastated or desolate Palestine or um, the German settlers had to be appropriate for transforming the desert into fertile land and, um, or the, the, the third statement is the main disadvantage, the bad quality of the soil seems to have been overlooked. So the bad quality of the soil and or it being a desert is being underscored by the scholarship and we also have seen the, the book From Desert Sands to Golden Oranges. And what I wanted to, to do is to take a look when they actually, if the Templars from the very beginning were seeing this land as a desert. Um, and the thing is they were not. Um, we have, um, I think in 2003, um, a diary of Bubek, the third member of the uh, survey journey in 1859 was found and it was published, um, and Bubek says if uh, the mountains are not fertile. And Bubek was, an, was a wine grower and he was the agricultural specialist who went to Palestine with the two religious leaders in order to see if the land is appropriate for agriculture. And this man said, um, of course the mountains are not so fertile, but the coastal plain is very fertile, you can grow anything on it, and also the northern mountains around Haifa uh, are very good for wine growing, and um, so he actually told the land is very fertile so at the very beginning the Templars didn't say it is not fertile um, and it is just a, an expression of the modern scholarship of the later scholarship but it was already um, it was already um, present in the Templar thought um, and it was Christoph Hoffmann, the religious leader of the um, of the movement who told that the land was actually deserted. He told it, because he compared it with um, excerpts from the Bible. And he was saying that, uh, well, we have the old Hebrew or Israeli cities in Palestine, which lay in ruins. And this is, uh, for him, it was a very sad view to see the big Israelite kingdom from the past um, being um, wasted by the muslims um, so he was the first one who i mean this was the religious feeling and religious sentiment that turned a land that an agricultural expert, expert called fertile into a deserted land where there is nothing uh, and then in the end into a desert um, Yeah, well let's just <coughs> it out um, so uh, the second thing about the Ottoman, um, the third thing, the third statement, the Ottoman government, it was um, accused of um, actually persecuting the Templars, not letting them buy land, uh, and not helping them to develop. Um, the thing is actually, I mean, all right, I still need to do some more research on it. Um, but there are some preliminary results. Um, first of all, the Ottomans themselves, as we have, I mean, it was already in the modern scholarship. Anybody who has read uh, Osama like this is Ottoman Orientalism knows that the Ottomans were not. Uh, I mean, they were sitting between the European partners and their own lands, and they were also acting as mediator- mediators between their new modernity and their own way of modernizing their lands. Um, and the colonizers view, and so the Ottomans actually, were. some of the officers had very very positive attitudes towards the Templars and Rashid Pasha, the Pasha of Damascus, um, promised the Templars much land on the Carmel Um, but actually then the local inhabitants from Haifa protested against it, against giving so much land to colonizers who actually came half a year ago um, and then there was a monastery, the Carmel Monastery, um, I think it was Greek Orthodox, um, that actually, when it heard about uh, Rashid Pasha wanting to give the land, to grant the land to the Templars, that actually started, started cultivating this land to claim it through cultivation for themselves. So it took 10 years uh, for the wish of Rashid Pasha to be actually fulfilled, and then the Templars, uh, they acquired a much smaller plot of land because of these whole, whole arguments, but still it shows the attitude of the of some of the Turkish officials. And the Turkish state employed German workers um, for the Hejaz uh, railway and for other uh, projects. Um, right now I forgot it, other the other projects, but there were some projects where German architects were employed and the people from the German colony were employed for work. So those people were actually seen these people bringing modernity for the Ottoman state, and the Ottoman state was had a positive attitude to them in some instances. Um, and when it comes to the question of land, um, uh, when it comes to the question of land, uh, the problem was that the Templars were, were not able to buy land according to official law because they had no international, uh, no international, uh, what do you call it, mm, agreement. Um, And only (coughs) states states with with an official international agreement with the Ottomans enabled their um, citizens to buy land in the Ottoman state. So so uh, they had no protection? Prussia Prussia had no uh, official agreement. So these people were not able legally to write that this land was theirs. They used Arab mediators. So the land was bought by the Templars but actually the, the act of, of selling said that it belong, it was sold to an Arab inhabitant, and on the other side, it was written that actually the German Templar so the name of the Templar who bought the land. So it's just, in the end, this act, some two years later, Prussia has signed this agreement, and then they just turned around the, the paper and told land is ours. And it was, I mean, it was accepted by the, by the Ottoman government but it's uh, made some problems for the, from the, for the German Templars and of course the scholarship just says the Turks uh, wanted to, um, to persecute the Germans and they hated uh, uh, the foreign people so that's why they did it um, and actually I mean, the Turkish government uh, offered giving the German Templars uh, Ottoman uh, citizenship they uh, refused But I mean, of course, it was the Turkish politic to try to make them Ottoman citizens. Um, Well, in the end, uh, the the colonial influences were too strong and the land was given to the Germans as German citizens. And I think we all know uh, what kind of uh, consequences it had for those people and for their social status. They refused
3: to take Ottoman
1: citizenship. Yeah, they actually, I mean, those people asked directly the Ottoman Ottoman, uh, sultan to grant them land. They first, of before coming to Palestine, in 68, Hardik and Hoffman went to Constantinople and were waiting there for a, month, for a month, talking to statesmen and so on, asking the French, the Russian uh, consuls to mediate between them and the Sultan for the Sultan to give the land. And the Sultan told them that they should become Ottoman citizens. And then the consuls uh, advised them not to do so and just to go to land and try to buy it. Um, yeah, so that's the, the story of buying the land. Um, yeah, um. Well, what is the sources on these issues? The um, sources, this source is, uh, the one called, uh, named here, Brugger, he is a Swiss, um, I don't know what was actually his occupation, he is a Swiss citizen who lived and was raised in the Templar colonies mm-hmm. and afterwards wrote for a Swiss geographical society a hundred pages book on the Templars and their beginnings, um, in in the in the 19th century, In 1908 1908, 1908, 1908. 1908. So he lived there in the late 70s or early 80s, um, and then you have the, the best source on Templar history is their weekly newspaper, the Deutsche Bote about the Temples um, where you get the, the newest uh, the most recent news from the Temple Society and the Temple col- um, colonies. I also have some documents. I have a letter from Christoph Hoffmann from the year 1891, I think, to the Württemberg in Parliament, where he depicts the situation, the land situation, um, but I'm still deciphering it. It's in an old German uh, handwriting and I'm still deciphering it, um, but this will probably give me also some more okay. insight. Um, but the German sources, the sources on the German side, are actually very rich, um, and I mean they had weekly paper, so we have a weekly uh, record of what happened and what was the most important, what were the most important uh, news. Um, yeah, let's leave this. Alright, uh, so. To sum up this strand of scholarship on the Templars, uh, I'd like to take a um, a quote from Christoph Hoffmann's um, book on, that he wrote in 1869, or I think he wrote it in 1868 and published it in 1869, called Occident und Orient, so Occident and the Orient, and um, it was the kind of modal book on on the German settlements and uh, the Templar the movement and what they want to do and what they're trying to do. Um, the, first, the first chapter, the first part, there uh, are three parts. The first part shows what actually has happened in the Occident and that the Occident is decayed morally but not economically. To help the Occident go out of this spiritual darkness they have to build up Christianity once more in Jerusalem and then re, kind of reborn the Occident, so it is the, the movement Rejuvenate. Rejuvenate, thank you so it's, it is a movement that actually wants to go to Jerusalem but keeps in mind the, um, the states and, and societies of Europe and Germany and says we cannot actually missionarize, missionarize those people here we have to go back to Jerusalem to reinvigorate our faith and become once more the people of God and then we will have to come back and missionize in Europe so it's a, it's a movement that has got two directions and the direction back is the ultimate direction of the temple movement in their ideas so the second chapter says um, talks about the Orient and its needs and it starts at the very first verse of the chapter The Orient is the cradle of culture, the original homeland of humanity's spiritual life. And because all higher activities of men have their beginnings in the spiritual motives, so the Orient, or the lands between the Nile and the (coughs) Indus, was the oldest stage of civilization. Nowadays, these very lands are in a state of obvious degeneration, against which even the rests of spiritual life that can be found in this stripe of land will not offer any help or any perspective of development towards a better state. From the outside, namely from the Occident, must the help for the Orient come, if it ever shall arise from its decay. The signs that the Occidental culture's beneficial influence on the inhabitants of the Orient are already becoming visible in individual cases." So this is the picture Christoph Hoffmann had of the land. He wanted to colonize, and he only started colonizing. Um, now let's focus very shortly of course, on the three questions that um, I want to use as a help to uh, have a different look on the Templars, and these are questions based still on the German sources, um, and then it should be the, the research should be spread out to Arab sources, uh, Arabic sources, and um, yeah, and local sources. But first of all. Um, was the crusade that Hoffman wanted uh, really so peaceful? And still the, the the sentence peaceful crusade, I mean it was actually really popular in all millenarian movements um, at this time. So they wanted to conquest the land peacefully through the culture. And, and this is what people stated, the the Templar society still says today those people wanted a crusade, but it was a peaceful crusade. So it's it's just conquering the land through peace and love. I mean, they don't use the word love, but um, yeah. So. <laughs> but they use the that, that, that German uh, term uh, Deutsch Deutsche? Deutsch Deutschdom the German dome. And this was used by the older, um, by the older uh, Templars. And this was around the turn of the centuries, at the beginning of the 20th century, the German Templars were seen as Germans more than Templars. And from this time, they were seen more from the nationalist perspective. And calling them Germans or um, representatives of German dome in Palestine is, uh, is becoming the most spread um, expression uh, on the Templars. Um, so the crusade was the Crusades had a very very large role in temple's imagination um, as we will see from a quote uh, in a minute but um, one important thing is the French that was taught in the German school was taught uh, with a French uh, book on the history of the Crusades and uh if the children went on a trip, they went on a trip to old crusader ruins um oh, sorry, to old Crusader ruins, and people went for a picnic also to old Crusader ruins to to see the roots of their cultural impact um and then um Johann Nepo a German scholar with whom Hoffmann was also in contact, um wrote in eighteen sixty eight i think." I'm not sure right now if it was about the German Templars, but it still um, it still shows the attitude of some Germans uh, or even many Germans at this time. Um, this is a quote from Bruger, so Bruegger is writing or is writing about what Sepp, Sepp wrote. So it's not the Sepp's words. Sepp's words are only in, in the quotes, and everything else is a description of Bruger of what Sepp, uh, what Sepp wrote. Reminding of Barbarossa, he said that because Germany's greatest kaiser died trying to acquire the Holy Land, the duty of reconquering it falls on the Germans, as the name of the Holy Land is dear to any Christian. However, he thinks that the German shall execute this um, reconquest with his specific and best weapon, the German spirit, and should leave the cultivation of land to locals or the Jews. It is, however, a right thought that Germany shall finally have her colonies and shall stop sending her hundreds of thousands as human fertilizer to foreign states." Um, And what we can see here, first of all, is the importance of the Kaiser Barbarossa, who died on his way for one of the last Crusades and was seen as a very important, powerful uh, emperor in Europe at this time, and then by later German scholarship. And of course, the word reconquering, because since the Crusades, the land belongs to the European states. So they have to be, Palestine has to be reconquered by the by the Europeans who are the heirs of the Crusaders. Um, and then um, Hoffman in his writings sees- um, yeah, Sorry he, to interrupt you. Yeah. Uh,
3: can you explain this to us? It, uh, it's a right yes. thought that Germany should finally have her colonies and stop sending her hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. human. You mean mm. to, to non-Palestine? Um, mm. German what, what
0: German, foreign
1: yeah, Ger- German poor people uh, actually used to colonize America. I mean, German part of the colonization of America is very, uh, very large. And really great, Germans really at this colonized. time, mean, it's 1868, there was still no German Empire. And the little German states, and those people went to France, French colonies, English colonies. And they um, became liberals there or whatever, that's the thing, no? And I think that what he means is just that those people go to other colonies and are not in the ruling class. Because in so the, the English the colonies point, the Englishmen were ruling, the the were point, rulers. The point here is that they should focus on Palestine? The point here is that I mean, the focus on Palestine is up there, about the Kaiser Barbarossa and oh. the Crusades, and at the end he says um, that Germany has to have Germany as a geographical land at this time still, but it was not a state, um, The Germany has to have, all the Germans ha- have to have their own colonies. So something they own themselves, and that this should be Palestine. Because yeah. the German Kaiser. Not but only Palestine. But this is what he says, about oh, well, he was yeah, concentrating sure, on okay, Palestine. Yes. So, health so, health health. Health. so this so is, is where they find. The point is to have German colonies.
4: Yes. It's like yeah. to be able to eat one equal to a lot states is that oh, yes. right. so yes. so yes. are colonizing. So, so, so for example, East Africa would later fulfill any, that
0: brief for a brief period. Any anywhere More. in the world Yeah, yeah.
1: Fulfill just fulfilled. Any, you know, any any place. Yeah. 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 Just uh, any right Also it also shows the importance of the economic factors. So there was a German emigration from the land, but they did not immigrate to any of German colonies. And, and still, I want to underscore, this is not Hoffman writing, but this is Sepp writing. So it's, a, it's an Austrian scholar, a German, German, yeah, he's a South German scholar from Bavaria. Um, yeah, and then Hoffman sees the Crusades as the last period of blossom in Palestine, and he says, from this time, the Muslims have brought Palestine to decay, um, and so wasted the, this beautiful period of European culture in Palestine. And, and of course, they did it because they hate Christians, and they are lazy, and they are despots. Um, yeah. And then the reconquest should not be should not be achieved by a physical conquest because if you conquer somebody physically, it will make him resist, resist. and it, it will not make him subjugate. So you have to subju- I mean, you have to culturally influence those people so that they become Christians. So the final goal is, in the end, to crusade. Yeah, the final end is to wipe out Islam in this part. So it is in the end wiping out the identity of those people and it's I think it's uh, paramount to... It's the same as actually killing those people because in, in the end you want to make them Christians or even German Christians. So this peaceful crusade had a not very peaceful... I mean somebody who hears these sentences uh, will not think that those people are welcome in Palestine and um, the Ottoman government had a consulate uh, or a legature in Berlin from 1837 and the Templar movement was pretty popular in the whole of Germany um, as an idea, so people were talking about it and of course the uh, the Templars themselves and applied to the German national parliament um, saying that Napoleon III, the French Emperor, is the new beast so the, uh, your 10 minutes became 20 minutes so you have two minutes to wrap right. Right. up um, the most important point actually is now um, that the economic and religious and national uh, um, focuses in the German Templars are all mixed up, of course, but they also have to be separated. Because it was not those those aspects developed in time. Nowadays the scholarship says, well, those people were just farmers and they brought progress or also that they were Germans and they brought culture. Nobody actually says today those people were millenarians who wanted to conquer the land and make it Christian. But which scholarship are talking about? Um, the books, I, the, the books I've told you about at the beginning. Yeah. Which are entirely their scholarship, it's on themselves more or less. Yeah, I mean, there, there is, except for Mahmoud Yazbak, I haven't seen anybody except the Templars writing actually in monograph on the Templars. I mean, Mahmoud Yazbak just wrote a... And the Israeli scholar, Kermel. Um, yes, and so, so yeah, this is, these are the two perspectives, the Israeli perspective and the temporal okay. perspective. But there is no Arab local perspective. What is the Israeli perspective specifically? Um, it says that the German uh, colonists brought progress to the desert land and they uh, were the uh, outposts of Zionists as a cultural movement which then uh, rendered the devastating desolate Palestine into a blossoming land. So this, this the, is the this is what Alex Carmel to proto, yeah Alex Carmel, Carmel writes yeah. the Germans were the first people who prepared the coming of the Zionists and then worked with them together and the Zionists took over.
2: Isn't this in fact the title of Is it Espart's article, It's, it's, it's there's The Zionists. Yeah.
1: The body,
0: right?
1: the, yeah. Uh, the yeah.
0: Should, should we should we take questions uh, and and then you can you yeah. can you know summarize through your answers or do you have any specific I like to you want to? To, to say this point, okay. this is the kind of the. Uh, <laughs> but <it's> quickly. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, because we have
1: only 15 minutes left. Really? No discussion oh, here. Oh, sorry. Usually um, two hours. So um, now it's the. I mean, Christoph Hoffman already started saying that the uh, in Palestine is the German national mission, and this is the most important quote that actually comes here, and that I never found mentioned by others. But I have. I, mean, I haven't read it all, so I just read uh, many articles, two books, and. I'm still in, in the progress of reading everything to, to take a look if anybody has even noticed it. So what Christoph Hoffman writes is the German nation has from the end of the Crusades until the last century had as its national duty to lead and indeed only defensive armed struggle against the Turk, the greatest enemy of Christendom. Now, as this relationship is reversed, when not defense but conquest, and not conquest with sword only but with the spirit, has become the duty, A conquest equally beneficial and honourable for the conqueror and the conquered. A conquest of which other nations of Europe are not capable, some for religious reasons, like France or Russia, because they were Catholic and Orthodox, some for lacking power, which they used otherwise, like England, which was evangelical, so it was religiously appropriate, but not uh, practically, because it was uh, engaged in India. Now, it is time for Germany, and namely the evangelical Germany, to realize the fulfillment of its national duty in the mission in the Orient. And it was written in 1858, when there was no German state and just small German kingdoms. Um, There's a German nation? Yeah, but there's a German nation and Austrians were part part of it, so um, it's like spreading the German nation um, besides or, or more than... The borders of today's German state. And then, of course, um, this peaceful conquest is not a conquest of sorts. So, the Oriental question, the question of how to dismantle the Ottoman Empire, has until then, in the view of uh, Hoffman, and it's right, uh, focused on Constantinople. And he says, Let the English, French, and Russians fight in Constantinople, let us colonize Jerusalem and Palestine, because this is where the Judgment Day will take place. And then the Germans from this place from Palestine will solve the Oriental question. Indeed.
0: Okay. Um, thank you so much. much. Uh, and we should go directly to, to questions now. The mm-hmm. And if you have right. any other points, you can include in your answers.
1: Thank you for your uh, thank you.
3: you. Might want to take notes. Uh, yeah, I, I have
1: everything prepared. Okay. Um, so, yeah. What stage in your, in your degree are you uh, I have just finished my Bachelor. Oh, okay. So, and I got interested, I mean, I had got some back uh, background information on the whole region here. And here in, in Ramallah I got interested in the German colonies. Uh, so I'm thinking of making it my kind of further research maybe if I, I'm going to do... You, a, so you're a, just starting uh, off, right? Yeah. Yeah. With this yeah. one, yeah. Some
4: questions or comments? please? I'm Michael Griffiths, um, late of Columbia University and a postdoc now, uh, uh, going to be in Australia at the University of Wilcox. Um So, first of all, let me apologize for my coughing. I have a little bug in my throat, so I hope I didn't put you off. Um, I have a, a kind of uh, a suggestion is that with your using these statements, So, for example, the second statement being a kind of proto-Zionist statement that that you bring out of the Templars' logic, that there's a way in which some of your framing collapses the Templar discourse with your own research questions. So for example, I'm sure that statement three, the Ottoman administration was guilty of illegal and malicious behavior towards the Templars, is something that these modern Templars say and write in their own studies, but you've kind of also made it the focus of your research. One might I suggest that in some ways, uh, some of these ideas—it uh, would be very interesting, for example—and there may be no connections, but it would be very interesting to see if any of the early Zionists, like Herzl or whatnot, took on the idea of the soil was either a desert or simply inappropriate for cultivation to produce now these, you know, devastating Zionist ideologies. Subsequently, to make this genealogy, rather than you know, it's just remained within that discourse. So that's just a kind of methodological caveat about maybe how to proceed in the future. Um, The question, uh, and this might lead you, for example, to ask a question, so the German settlers getting reparations from the Israeli government, from the chronology I detected somewhere between 48 and 67, you said 20 years after, something that sounded like around and first of all, yeah, so I think that
1: I forgot the exact date.
4: That, that this is a so in some ways it would be very interesting to see if this leads to that kind of way in which um, these claims, these kinds of claims for reparation displace you know important Palestinian claims. Of for, course. Okay. Um, now I have a question about the millenarianism and about Australia and where this uh, host black was, but I'll I'll leave that.
1: Um.
4: The. Is there a way that the discourse of, yeah, so I'm also wondering that if you might talk about this rather than a series of facts as, as shifting the focus of your research perhaps to the critique of a certain kind of discourse that's transnational rather than a series of facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wonder if you could connect for us in any way uh, this to wider ideologies current in transnational orientalism.
1: I mean it's 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 let's, let's uh, take let's take let's take so a like, few right. let's just comments more and comments, questions, comments. yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. comments and questions uh, and and then you can mm-hmm. you know answer the uh, altogether at the end. Mm-hmm. The... Right. Yeah um, I have a question first which is uh,
5: related to uh, where, uh the portion or the percentage of the templars from the if there is any non Templar German uh, present in Palestine, besides like, the official, like, uh, the, the yeah, the official the state, church, uh, right, yeah. the German influence of the Lutheran or local Lutheran church. So, is there non Templar German colonists in Palestine? And what state? I don't yeah. know the history, so it's it yeah. important? that but my 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 suggestion or my question is that when you say for example most historiography i like honestly i do not see it as historiography the, the books that you you talked about it's more of self-representation the templars or pro-templars right self-representing the experience whether like in the question of uh, the land uh, if it's appropriate to, uh, inappropriate to be to be cultivated or even the relationship to the Ottomans or even the so it's all self-representation and I think I think it's actually we move beyond like you know proving that Palestine was actually uh, used like was cultivated or that it was cultivated soon we move beyond that kind of counter uh, orientalist representation at this moment it's uh so I don't know if it's I think you should reframe, I suggest that you should reframe this like instead of saying that it's like a historiography, but actually it's a self-representation and it's all together fit with one orientalist again, one orientalist present, if you you, would for for better phrasing. So that's my suggestion is actually not to call that or not to think of that as historiography but rather as Mm self-representation
0: and you don't need to uh, debunk such arguments. I mean, it's already debunked
5: it's already uh, moved beyond that in, in scholarship around but finally like basically on all third world countries or post Colombian moment or
0: mm-hmm. sure. no invention of the of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah in, I mean, in a
1: way. Um, but this, 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 this all right, let's 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 get uh, have one round and then yeah,
0: okay. we'll, we'll answer Sorry. Uh, you want it first.
3: Uh, um this is very interesting because it um, mm-hmm. it's Rather an unknown arena in 19th century colonization. Although there is, as you say, lots of writings to it, but because they were defeated and dispersed, uh, uh, they have phased out from our national memory. Um, I want to ask you a number of uh, just simple questions. The first one: you, when we were discussing, you mentioned at one point that the Templars became an instrument of German territorial policy. That actually, on a number of occasions, the German state began to think of the Templars as an instrument of territorial aggrandizement. And in your talk, uh, this did not come out. I wonder if you could just say a word about it. Mm -hmm. Second, in the uh, First World War, of course, the Germans became the allies of the Ottoman state. And the question is how did the Templars behave? Did they join the army? Did they fight uh, with the the Ottoman army? They must have been conflicted about the Ottomans becoming their own allies. And did they use that uh, period for their own uh, expansion? Um, The third point, um, can you say more about the Zionists? I mean, was there actually collaboration at one point how did the Templars see the Zionists? Except in the short phase you mentioned, how did the Zionists see the Templars? It's very important for us uh-huh. to know. Did they see themselves as kins? Um, and my last point is, goes along with what you just said. You seem to give too much coherence to Templars' ideology through the pronounces of people like Hoffman. And I wonder if, because the Templars were made up of several communities which were quite autonomous, is it possible that the Templars themselves did not have a a national or coherent integrated policy that they behaved differently in different places? We know that in uh, Jaffa, for example, there was a high degree of uh, collaboration between Arab farmers and the Templars. Uh, They were pioneers in beehiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Philistinia's work on Artas, uh, she, she shows there were, the Templars were not uh, particularly seen as uh, colonizers. There was a great deal of uh, cohabitation mm-hmm. Templars. So I wonder if there were different kinds of Templars that you seem to give them a coherent uh, ideology in that uh, period.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: uh, I, I wanted to second. So, my name is Peter. I'm a PhD student at uh, Columbia. Uh, and um, I, you know, it's really, really fascinating topic, I think. And it's, it is, you know, uh, uh, I think I'd second more you know, comments some that I've heard. And I particularly, you know, a last comment uh, the questions that you set out, the sort of the straw strawman that you set out to take down, um, I mean, you're beating a dead horse in that sense. These are not arguments that you need to really. To rehash I think, but it is a very interesting topic, um, and there's most surely much much to be mined there, and and for you to to be able to sort of ex, ex, exploit it, I think you need to move beyond these questions that the Templars are themselves posing about themselves, and you know dismantling their own mythology is not a is not a sufficient project, for in yeah. thesis. but there are I what I, and what I want what struck me as being interesting about this is not only you know, the years and, and sort of how we all relate to this material now sitting here is of course, how, how do we understand these as proto-Zionists, um, what is the relation to the Zionist movement so forth. But it strikes me that they are really fascinating topic because they, 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 they produce this sort of colonial circuit of the time, you know, this movement from the American frontier. And this is early, France, this is not, you know, this is, Indians are still being cleared off, the, I mean, this is, you know, so they're, they're in America, they're in Palestine, um, so you have this, these people who are moving in this colonial circuit since, and sort of who have been sort of lost in the, you know, the, history, the, the, the historical traces you know, because they are, as you said, they're defeated in certain sense. They, they were dispersed, right? Um, I think it's a really interesting, it might be really interesting to think about this as a project that is not necessarily only about Palestine as such. That could be about, um, you know, a sort of uh, the, the colonial frontier. In a certain sense, uh, you know, as uh, 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 kind of in a transnational sense, an imaginary sort of. Just went that, on a comment and a
5: continuation. Yeah. And my question would be like, you know, the, the moment that, what is the historiography of the moment where German, uh, or the, the, the pre empire moments of embracing colonialism as an ideology, or the colony- colonialism, the ideological uh, 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 imaginary of, of creating colonies, if there are any, like you know, because it was actually late in the in a in, uh, in history of colonialism that the Germans basically came, like, or thought of themselves with a colonial ideology, unlike the, the British and the French. So, like, was it again? Was it a state uh, sponsored like, again? Yeah, state sponsored, but without I don't know. If there was a, a, an ideological uh, or state. Um, yeah, take ideology, colonialism at, mm. at that at that moment. Mm. So the, the, instead
0: of yeah, mm. to to are yeah. thinking about the of the right. You right. can give you a uh, a for both of you to, <laughs> yeah. to do the uh, another time. Yeah.
6: And I, Just a small piece of information about the compensation uh, that uh, was paid to the Templars for after 1948, that it was mediated actually by Australia, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was a big international, like a big process and international agreement and some studies have been uh, done on that and analysis made and also compared made how could that also influence any future talk of uh, compensation to Palestinian refugees. So it was done by Australia uh, and probably
4: are, and the influence of the Templars in Australia. There so are, maybe you can. There there I know of German Moravians who were involved in assimilation projects against Aboriginal people in Australia, but I have no knowledge of the Templars in the Australian context. So, mm-hmm. But, but I'm that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So,
6: but uh, my question on, on on the talks about more than about the self-representation. Did you find or is there any indicator of any primary sources on that, like any archival material? Like uh, diaries, uh, like uh, uh, like uh, trade books, uh, things that can give us any indication that we could read uh, the history of the Templars in Palestine uh, without having to rely on self-representation. Uh, any traces of that without, because you mentioned German sources a lot uh, with our, when you talked um, mm-hmm. and. I just wonder what are those general sources? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Um, it's time to mm-hmm. no. um, <laughs> one, one point.
6: Like, uh, you mentioned in paper like, that you, may, you say that uh, uh, Ottoman or Turkish languages are talisman for you, that probably there are sources uh, about this. Maybe you should learn the language, besides <laughs> Arabic and try to explore that if you try, if you think you are going to make
1: it uh, your trade. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I have a comment and then we'll give you the...
1: Right. anybody uh, <laughs> of oh, you? Uh, it yeah, no, so, it's a decline. Decline. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Okay. I just wanted to ask, I mean just like, if anybody beside of you has a comment, so I... Because you just told you're going to have a comment and then I will answer the questions. <laughs> and, uh, no, no, I, will, I want to listen to your comment too, I just want to ask. Okay.
3: I'm sorry, I came late, I didn't... I was thinking, I was uh, concerning in, uh, in World War I in Palestine, And uh, so w- what about the position of the uh, timber, the German Timbers, uh, in, in that war, in Palestine, yeah. the, the British uh, uh, campaign? Mm-hmm. Uh, did they do anything?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh,
3: did they have any influence on the people to, because maybe some some Palestinians were, uh, some against uh, uh, Ottoman Empire yeah.
0: and others with the Ottoman. Yeah. Okay. But the, some Palestinians were against the, the, the Germans, and maybe so they, they spied on them, yeah. and they arrested okay. some, like Najib Nassar. Yeah. So, there's lots of uh, archives to dig in. And that's it. And the. Okay. That's
1: All right. Okay. Uh, Daniel? No, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no I, I want you to comment. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
4: I was just wondering, the, um, the various photos that you showed, um, where are those from? Are those from the self-representations, mostly, or?
1: Um, yeah, oh, I'll, talk, I'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah. But,
3: yeah, and I, yeah. I, I think connecting this question, really making, drawing out the links to Zionism would be a very
5: useful um, mm-hmm. exercise and really digging deeper into that um,
0: would be yeah. very helpful. There is there is a wider European thesis about the restoration of the Jews into Palestine Mm in the nineteenth century, and they are not the only ones. They are not the original, actually, authors of this imaginary. The Templars, I mean, right? So it would be this is a part of a larger project connecting them to the wider, uh, you know, uh, colonial Christian colonial thought uh, in Europe so this is this is one one thing it depends um also the scientific crusade uh, the the peaceful, peaceful crusade, crusade and the the British used the scientific crusade the, and the Americans also violence. said peaceful crusade there, there's lots of something if you if you want to do it depends what kind of project you want to do mm-hmm. I think you you if you do we do need a, a a critical book on the history of the Templars uh and and in this sense um, you can contribute something to the historiography very, very good. Uh, It it depends if you want to do that. If you want to do that, then there's so many uh, things to do. One is to explore the wider European colonial imperial uh, connections and to place the Templars and and German, Germanic or German policies or Prussian within that network of colonial imperial and imaginary and, and, and projects and relations. But also you have to go back to these colonies in Palestine and, and explore their archives or their traces and, and see how they really, what, what kind of roles they played. Because this is a long history, so many factors. The Zionists, the natives, the Alba, Ottomans, the. Uh, so that would be, I think it would be an exciting project and then you can, you know, you translate your criticism of, you know, the ideology into something. Uh, how else can you, you know, it's not the point really, as 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 Ala and other, others said. It's not the point to, you know, to, crit- to criticize the the Orientalist imaginary. We have read this so many times, it's everywhere. So what what new things can you do? Through the Templars, mm-hmm. uh, and I, because I know a little bit about the land laws, a little. So for me, they are good indicators for something that is happening in Palestine in general. But this is beyond the issue of their representations of of the, the, Turk, mm-hmm. the Turks or the, the Arabs. These representations are, you know, you can deconstruct in the first chapter, yeah. and then move on to tell us uh, really how what, what is it what is it yeah. that they. Did in Palestine? How did they live? Uh, you know, the, the, their struggles to kind of deconstruct the, the the myth, but in a way that really, you uh, really go goes deep into Palestinian social history, Palestinian mm-hmm. political history. So actually, to use them to tell things things about Palestine. Now, what is it to be a colon, colonist in Palestine in the nineteenth century? And and really, I think. Many surprising things will come out, mm-hmm. uh, especially about uh, relations to the Zionists or contests with the Zionists, not necessarily a, a, a one kind of project. So, this uh, of course, uh, Ottoman is, is, is critical. It's critical. It's critical. I, think,
6: I think when you look, you cannot but notice the dates when, with the start of the actual practical movement mm-hmm. that it. Did uh, did come right after the Tanzimat, after the new land laws? Uh, yeah, it Is it, is it related really? Or Fifty-eight
0: is a critical land law. Uh, like in 1858, a critical Ottoman land law mm-hmm. uh, announcement. It might not be related. But 18, it's 1869, to when they first the bought land, is 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 uh, and, and registered on the back. Yeah, the, the, they bought it in 68. This is exactly when the the Ottomans allowed. Exactly the same year which the Ottomans allowed uh, foreign uh, proteges to buy land with the condition that their sovereigns sign an agreement with the Ottoman sovereign. Mm-hmm. So this, these property transactions are actually re- transactions between sovereigns. Yeah. Right. And, and, and th- that is th- th- that's part of the telling the local history through these mm-hmm. Who? using them to tell them you know the uh, uh, provincial uh, when
6: you look at them like like wilhelm uh, it had more uh, more a feeling of a fortress for example like of i don't have, uh, remember sources now but sorona is different because it was like in a way kind of a neighborhood in jaffa and there was as salim said there were there was, you will hear about them like there are piano teachers in uh, Sorona, like people, there were exchanges, there were professionals, doctors, there were other people than traders. Is it, uh, what is there? I, I think there is plenty
4: plenty to dig in. I, I, I did really like the, the way that you took apart the notion that the Templars enjoyed no state support. That point in terms of the, the first of one, so the way, the the way that you, the way that you showed that there was sort of a there, there was kind of a tacit agreement without you know too much later support from like the Kaiser etc. Like from it's very interesting. That was an interesting point, but it doesn't touch on perhaps the more rich second of your points about the subsequent Palestinian. Mm-hmm. That. So uh, curiosity, out of curiosity, like the relationship to. Uh, the Chemistry industry in Germany. The in Germany, yeah. The and like what's their their scientific? Because I was actually I read just like a small account. I started reading recently on how the chemistry in Germany basically was some kind some form of uh, compensation for
6: uh, external colonialism. So that by like creating revenues from chem, from chemical uh, production. It was like a moment where uh, basically... So I don't know if there's any relation to that, because you mentioned some... Uh, some ah, I mean, you mean because you do not have oil, so you have to... Yes, you have all, yeah, you can, all the, the, bottom bottom oil. the resources, so basically you produce them through, uh, through chemistry. <laughs> I thought that's interesting. All right. Uh, so you, you thought you, about
5: you, thought
1: you had, had one project, now you have five. <laughs> yeah. No, um, okay. I'll, try, I'll try to answer your questions shortly, and then ask you if you have any other questions, if there are no other questions, I will no, uh, elaborate. To, uh, yeah. uh, so, oh, first of all, there were non-Templars for, from Germany, most of all because the Templars uh, quit the Templar church and they came back to the evan- evangelical church, the state church. Um, most of all in Haifa, because um, the Haifa colony uh, was, uh, um, it was managed by Georg Hardek and he had an argument with Christoph Hoffman and Christoph Hoffman was the religious and the most important leader so the Haifa of colony actually was cut off from the finances from Germany. The Temple Society financed Jaffa and Jerusalem much more than Haifa. Haifa had financial problems. Templars from Haifa uh, came back to the state church and tried to look for help this way. And then this colony became a multi-confessional Christian colony. So there were uh, also evangelicals, state evangelicals and, um, and Catholics. In this colony but of course the tempest made uh, made up much a, a large part of it and was there any reason
5: also for the like, size the geography why they chose Hyper, or in like, is there any logic behind
1: that mm-hmm. agriculture right. those peoples were th- those people were farmers and they wanted the best land to, for agriculture and this is also uh, visible in the diary of joseph bubek i uh, told you that it was discovered actually really recently and um, all of the colonies actually follow the pattern that Joseph Wubeck in 1858 drafted in his diaries. So he said the Jezreel or what do you call it, the Israel, uh, Plain in the north, the Sarona, the river Aujer, so uh, Aujer uh, near Jaffa. Yeah. Um, so those people just uh, followed this plan. I, I, I'm just like, of course partly um, with the awareness that it was the plan written by Boubec, um, but partly just like just because they were looking for fertile land.
4: But it's also interesting that you said they were on their way to Nazareth, so they, they chose Haifa, but they had to stay in Haifa. However, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you, and this goes back to my earlier point: is that with your statement it has to be less about EH Carr and more about Michel Foucault, in a certain sense, right? Not a fact, but a discourse. Yeah. So these guys are looking for places to cultivate you know, um, Riesling, and they're used to doing cultivation on the high, right? Yeah. You know, so they come here, and of course maybe they don't see cultivatable land, but this is a misperception, right? So yeah. it, that's why this is a discourse that doesn't establish any kind of yeah. fact about cultivatability of
1: land, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. the cultivation
4: of land,
0: yeah. but that's, right. that's the yeah. close to the poor, to the to- to Aga, and Nazareth has Christians. Who refuse the proselytization process, right? So it's not that the priest told them don't come here, go there. He he rejected
1: them, probably. But Uh, I think he was an evangelical priest. I think he was one of the evangelicals. uh, Uh, Because the uh, evangelical mission was already in Palestine
0: 20 years before. We know this from Mahdisi's work on on Lebanon, right? But but, uh, I like the idea of... uh, You know, knowing that you're you're dealing when you're dealing with discourse, you're dealing with a discourse, and when you tell social history, you know these are two different things and and must be integrated in a Mm -hmm. smart way.
2: Can I make also I pose a question slash comment? We could to this talking about discourse. It may be worthwhile asking why it is that they have to produce or why it is how how one can render legible the fact that they do, that they do, notwithstanding evidence to the contrary, the possibility of making a counter-argument, why they, how it is legible that they produce themselves as being, um, as as acting without state support, as confronting a hostile uh, environment and so forth. And there are certain obvious, there are certain reasons that many come very obviously, obvious to us, right? But it seems to me that what's interesting about this movement in certain ways, and, and linking it to the discourse that you then, you know, Tease out later on about the constitution, the reconstitution, the cultivation of new sort of selves in certain ways. Um, um, uh, that you need in order, precisely in order to forge a new sort of subject, a new kind of uh, European. You know, uh, even within the sort of religious you know, religious discourse, you would need that kind of oppositional environment. You know, and it, there are parallels if you look at. For instance, you know, you, you notice that they do, what the Germans don't have are colonies, and if really are, You know, if you look at French, I mean, this is not my field, but I mean, I've done some readings. If you look at there's some, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, his, histories of French uh, colonial, uh, French and French army officers writing back from the colonies about their experience in Africa. For instance, there is this discourse of we have something as having been in the frontier that is needed to rejuvenate Europe. Mm. Yeah, and this is not a religious discourse, but it's a. I mean, but it is. It is that sense of from the colony, we will reconstitute ourselves yeah. at
1: home. Right. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. Um, go ahead. So let's go on with the questions, with the first questions, um, reframing the historiography to the historiography to self-representation. Um, the thing is that those Templar historians. I mean, they sit. These actually sit on the archives, like the dragon sitting in gold. They have the archives, the Stuttgart archive is really great. Then the second Stuttgart archive, archive where where Jakob Eisler works, the church archive is great. It's got 10,000 pictures from Palestine from the mid 19th to the mid 20th century. Um, So those people have Many, they have the material, and in Australia they have uh, the great archive of uh, Albert Bleich, family, uh, Albert, Albert Bleich archive. The thing is, I mean, they really know much, and I would still call them historians. Uh, of course, they have their own perspective, and they try to represent themselves. The thing is also that this discourse does not, does not exit out of the Templar. Uh, Temple society, they actually published those works, most of, most of all, with their own money. And also there is the Israeli discourse, which comes from the Gottlieb Schumacher Institute, published or financed together with Germany and the Württemberg state. Um, so this all stays in a, in a small uh, group of people. Um, so they have a special perspective, but they are still people who have done much research, and, and good research, with their own focus and with their own bias. Um.
2: Can I just, quick intervention to what, uh, Alice's point was, you know, this question of whether they're historians or not, it's its its a question simply in order to establish what's at stake in your research and what's the intervention you're making as a scholar, because you don't get any points in the academy by dismantling a certain kind of history. So the question is, what is your inter- intervention vis-a-vis a scholarship that circulates in the academy in sense. It's not a narrow question. Uh, they are historians, and not yes, they can call themselves historians. But what's your intervention
4: in a larger field? And not, that's not a question you would have to answer
1: today, I think. It's a question yeah. is,
4: right. it's for, the future.
1: Future. for the future. All right. So, um, Salim, the German territorial aggrandisement and the Templars as Germans. Um, I think this is one point that will explain. I think two, and th- two or three further questions. Uh, it's on this wall right now. The official histori- historiography says that those people were f- most of all poor Bavarian-Württembergian uh, farmers who went there to cultivate land and spread their culture. And um, second of all, they were Germans. And last of all, third of all, they were millenarians. But it actually, I mean, nobody talks about them as millenarians right now. And it's actually the articles by Feliz Tim that that show that yeah they, they showed me that you can just see them as millenarians, not really talking about they're being German or they're being uh, farmers. And the thing is, in my view, how I read Templar history, and I think it's the most important points a point that I I could make today is that this society started as a millenarian society. Yeah. It was persecuted and was expelled actually practically from Wurttemberg. Those people were not anymore part of their home society. People stow, uh, threw stones on them, people did not talk to them. In uh, Württemberg, some those people went as millenarians. But then, in Palestine, they met an established network of Germans and German missionaries who helped them and with whom they worked. In the end, they were the consuls. 1898, the Kaiser comes, so those people and about the, about the 90s, so 20 years after they emigrated, uh, the state of Württemberg once more accepted them, I mean, of, officially they were still the Württemberg citizens, but the state of Württemberg accepted them, like, morally as Germans, as, I and mean, expelled them before, but right now accepted them once more as part of the community. So those people then came back to the German roots and left the millenarian thoughts, left the religious thoughts, to a great degree. Can I make so, a question about so
4: millionaires? So
0: they became I, and, uh, and, uh, uh, I,
1: have I mean to they did you they guys determine it? To allow Philip to answer all the yes, questions, yes, because yes. we have yeah. only ten minutes. And then, then all right. So they they became they they re- reformed their German ten, identity. only ten minutes. Yeah, the German identity identity in Palestine, um, and of course also because the German Empire was founded. So this was a state they could they could identify with. Their own state, the state of Württemberg, they, they could not identify with it. And the state of Germany was their state. Um, and also to some of the father, one of the father questions, they went to war, even in the French-German, French-Prussian war, when the religious leader told them, our youth, the Palestinian-German youth, has to go to the war to fight to unite Germany in order that people say afterwards, the, the Germans in Palestine are also Germans and they fought for our fatherland. Um, they also fought in the First World War. Most of the, most of the young men went to war, were conscripted. Um, they, all of them went to the army for the training, like normal conscripts. They just had to go to Germany and go to the army because they were still German citizens. In the First World War most of them went and were conscripted and children and women were interned in Egypt so they did not fight in palestine they fought on other fronts That's it's one of the other questions <laughs> and then the question of the territorial german territorial aggrandizements and the templars as germans as i said the templars became germans first in palestine so they became the outpost of the german dome and of the german colony or empire and they were seen as a german colony so actually Sometime in the, in the history, people stopped talking of them as Templar colonists, they called them German colonists. And I think that's also around after the, the Kaiser's visit. Um, yeah, they joined the army. There was also a question collaboration with Zionists. Um, these people were um, employed by the Ottoman government and by the Zionists, the first uh, Zionist settlers to build uh, factories to build their houses. So these people worked for them. Um, and what comes next, I don't know. Um, I haven't done much research on Zionism itself. And it's like starting or opening this field for me. It's just like so much work. to study Hebrew too. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> have to, we have to study German most all uh, for we, the first period. Yes,
6: Wherever you go into the field right. of linguistics.
1: So, all right, <laughs> too I mean, much.
0: Hansel's mm. idea was to have a, a German, German. Yes, yes. It be German. Yes, yes. So. German you need
1: to use in the beginning, right? And then later on. All right. Um, too. Uh, was it? Um, I think it's still Salim. Too much coherence in, or was it too too much coherence in the representation, Salim? Um, those people, as I, as I said, Hardek and Hoffman actually argued a year before, they, they argued also before they came to, to colonize, they argued, they split and there are of course differences between the colonies uh, and the Haifa colonies was, was actually this separated, isolated colony and only after 20 years did it belong to the to the kind of body of German colonies I mean, after Hardek and Hoffman separated in 74 73 I think Hardek just founded his own temple uh, uh, temple society but it uses another German word for society so it's just um, there were different colonies um, The colonial circuit and colonial frontier I'll just leave it as in This is so, very So comment. the Kaiser's visit selection to Haifa?
6: happened after
1: no, no, the no, no. But, from no, no but, back no, no Yes, yeah, no. after, after they were... I mean, it, be, it became a German colony, on, not a temple on, colony. On extra questions, on, on um, no. coffee... All right. Outside, um, outside all right, the archival materials of the Templars, um, as I have told, the materials that the Templars are using are very rich materials. These are the materials that are in Australia, two archives in Stuttgart and the archive in Haifa. Um, then World do One Templars in Palestine uh, answered photos. This is also the question about the archives. They have many photos. Um, all right. I think that I think these were all of the questions. Uh, I, mean, I answered them in a, in a general manner. And what I will show you you can just go out if you don't want to see it is that Two two minutes all right i've got some photos that actually show you i mean the problem is i think really the problem about templar history is that seeing them as templars millenarians farmers and colonists at the same time makes no sense because they had those different roles in different times to a different degree so if you just say these were templars and germans at the same time for the whole time um, you might be very um, surprised to see. I mean, this is the gate where the Kaiser went into Haifa. But to the right, under the gate, you can see the flag of the Nazi Party in Haifa when in was the thirties. Yeah, it was the Nazi Party was in, in Palestine was founded, I think, so in it's the thirties. Stayed
4: up since the Kaiser's
1: no visit. Yeah, they, they they kept it as a sign of honor. Oh. Um, so, um, what this. You, what was this? Uh, it's around the 30s. Yeah. The thing is, here, people, I mean, the, the Nazi party did not include all the Templar colonists, and the more religious colonists were still not Nazis. So, the, the more nationalist colonists became Nazis, um, and of course, this shows the the divisions inside the German colonies. So. It, it shows that we have to look differently. And I think that the national element was stronger since the 1890s, but the religious, religious element was stronger in the beginning. Um, yeah, that's the, that, These are photos of the Nazi party in Palestine. And this is the Jerusalem um, community of Palestine taking part in the Nazi vocational um, 19, competition. 1939. 19. 19, so all the Germans in Palestine were Nazis? No. What is that? Yeah, 31. It's thirty-nine. They support the. Yeah, it is the it is the the Nazi Nazi cell in Palestine. Yeah. And those the Nazi party took over actually the the role of the German consulate in Palestine. The German consulate became a consulate, and the Nazis made the whole ideological and economic work. And then the question is, this is from the First World War, the Templars in Egypt, they were interned as Germans, not as millenarians. So, this is the, and, they said, you ask, and you ask yourself, what would a millenarian community that actually wants to bring progress to the land, why would they be interned? But of course, in times of war, these were German citizens, so part of their identity was being a, a Templar, a religious Templar. Part of their identity was being a German. So, in their role as Germans, they were interned. And of course, still today, they say, well, we were interned without a reason. Because we were just Templars, a religious farmer community, bringing progress to the land. So, and there is the question: Why would you? Why would you intern a a farmer that cultivates the land? Um, yeah.
2: Very quickly, this is an interesting strategic sort of move, you know, this constant oscillation between there and everything. I mean, it, this seems to me to be a, a space the kind of, that they exploit also, right? In this sort of sense of being at once German and something else, right? Moving back and forth. It's something worth thinking about. For
1: and they are also called, in German, they are called Palestina Deutsche, the Palestine no, Germans. Not so not Palestinian Germans, but Palestine Germans. Ah. And they have, I mean, they went, m- most of them went to high schools to Germany and most of them to Stuttgart actually, so they came back to the state where they came from, uh, to the very same city, studied there and then came back as architects uh, and engineers, back to Palestine to work. And um, so, okay. this, I think this is the, the most interesting part to explore. I mean, as I said, nowadays people overemphasize the agricultural and national part um, without really going deeper into the network of identities that those people had. Well, the
3: next had. lecture should be on the Templars. This is the Templars. Yeah. And people confuse the two because the Templars were the Crusaders and they are still in Palestine until today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to in <laughs> well, the hospital of St. John, who are the Templars.
2: These are the Templars.
1: So yeah, um, what is it? Wait a minute.
2: It's, I'll just... You know, this, this very last part about them becoming Germans in the colony, which, you know, kind of re- recuperates now, uh, and uh, maybe old, or certainly well-established trope in a certain historical, and, you know, scholarship about the Constitution of Europe and, you know, through the colony and so forth.
0: But it's not, it's not passé. yet. And so, you know, that's an interesting thing to really look at, I think. Uh, I have an announcement, and because we, uh, we usually close at four uh, on Friday. And we don't want uh, to hold our you know, friends more than uh, you know, beyond uh, four o'clock. Uh, but uh, I'd like to thank you and thank you all for participating in this..